Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers, past or present. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right. Hello, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Uh, My name's Kyle, and I'm going to be your host today. Uh, So, it's been a little while since I put out a couple podcasts, but it's been, um, you know, a little bit of an interesting time, as you all know. So, uh, today we're going to do a little bit more in-depth podcast, um, again, kind of focusing on uh, an article that I wrote, uh, kind of summarizing it and giving you kind of an audio form of what was in that article. Uh, today we're going to be covering kind of a, what I think is a more uh, modern guide to environmental enrichment in zoos and aquariums. To try my best uh, with kind of what's out there uh, to really back it by science uh, and kind of structure it in a way that it can be applied to large zoos and aquariums as well as smaller institutions uh, and scenarios such as wildlife rehabs, hobby farms, and even your home. You know, you could be uh, doing all of these things with your dogs, cats, and whatever pets you have at home. Uh, really, the main takeaway from this article is going to be that all captive animals require enrichment, uh, regardless of their circumstances. So, things you learn here can really be applied to a wide variety of animals. Um, so, we kind of go into the fundamentals of uh, environmental enrichment and why it's important. Um, how to go about enriching an animal uh, and and evaluate that enrichment, um, as well as the basics of contra freeloading, which uh, we've done a previous podcast on. So we'll just kind of briefly touch on that. If you want to listen more about contra freeloading, that is uh, one of the previous episodes that I recorded a few weeks ago. Um, And then, of course, how to design uh, an enrichment program. Uh, Yeah. So um, really, we'll start with kind of the challenges of keeping animals in captivity in the first place you know why do we need uh, enrichment in general yeah so um, some of the challenges and uh, one of the main challenges of keeping animals in captivity is they're you know they're away from their sort of quote-unquote natural environment Um, and that comes with certain challenges such as stress and boredom um, that result from this kind of uh, closed environment that they're in. Uh, not to say a lot of exhibits are, aren't uh, adequate environments, but uh, they rec- they're kind of uh, closed, you know. There's not the same sort of challenges um, and uh, different things that would be potentially happening in uh, this animal's wild counterpart's life. Um, so um, this kind of stress and boredom that could come from, uh, could result from these kind of closed environments, uh, if left unchecked, um, can kind of develop into what we call stereotypic behaviors um, and other potentially harmful activities. 
Uh, I've already talked about a little bit of this in previous podcasts, uh, so you definitely want to go uh, check that out if you want to learn a little bit more about stereotypic behaviors uh, and why they form and all that. Um, so luckily, zoos and aquariums have been around a long time, and with the help of modern science, uh, we can, we've really learned to combat a lot of these negative impacts uh, with basically... Uh, forming environment enrichment and behavioral husbandry uh, programs and implementing them and uh, uh, really developing them specifically for uh, individual animals. So uh, quite simply, uh, environmental enrichment is uh, defined as the environment causing stimulation of the brain due to physical or social elements. Um, and in a zoo setting, this can really include uh, physical objects like puzzle feeders uh, and, and various other feeders, um, as well as exhibit features uh, like dens and platforms, uh, also training by keepers, and uh, kind of the social uh, relationships uh, these animals form uh, with, with their exhibit mates. And um, environmental enrichment is really the broader concept behind uh, animal enrichment and behavioral husbandry. Uh, so that's really what this article is going to be focusing on. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, we've kind of talked about uh, how behavioral husbandry and environmental enrichment can be extremely beneficial to uh, a captive animal's life. Um, but how should you go about enriching an animal, uh, you know, or a zoo full of animals? So uh, let's kind of get into a few things that I believe are the most important concepts to think about when enriching an animal. Uh, and these are natural history. Uh, variety, variation, and evaluation. So let's start with a natural history. Uh, so uh, really natural history is about finding out those challenges and those circumstances that an, a natural uh, counterpart, a wild counterpart of the animal you're trying to enrich uh, would be facing. Uh, you know, we've already talked about it a little bit. Uh, not all these challenges are good things. You know, a lot of these uh, challenges involve uh, potentially starvation, um, getting predated upon, all those things that uh, kind of are benefits of being um, in these enclosures. Those aren't really things the animals have to focus on. But um, finding the specific behaviors um, are really the most important factor uh, when you're thinking about enriching an animal. Uh, you know, if you're giving, say, a penguin uh, a deer leg hanging from a zip line, they're going to turn around and look at you like you're crazy because nowhere in a penguin's natural history does it involve uh, eating deer or jumping up and grabbing a deer leg off a zip line. Uh, whereas if you give, were to give that exact same enrichment item to a, uh, a jaguar or a tiger, uh, they're going to use their incredible jumping ability uh, to uh, grab onto the leg, and that's going to be a fantastic bit of enrichment for them. So really natural history is the most important factor because it really it's already a blueprint of what the animal does in a day, uh, what they're good at, what they're bad at, things you should really focus on. Uh, you know, so uh, natural behaviors should really always uh, try to kind of form the backbone of any enrichment program. Uh, these facts, uh, not only because they're more natural for the animal, but um, these behaviors are ones that should come incredibly easy to the animal uh, and will be very easy to replicate day after day and kind of become your surefire uh, kind of enrichment items. Um, they're generally easy to set up and execute day to day. 
and uh, kind of once you've uh, done some research and found your um, the natural behaviors and kind of the natural history that you really want to focus on um, and you've kind of developed some of those and implemented some devices that are really going to target those uh, the next most important thing is uh, variety you know uh, so um, really at animals need a tremendous amount of variety uh, in their daily lives in order for a behavioral enrichment program to really be as successful as uh, you could want it to be. So, uh, you know, even the most fun and inventive enrichment that's based on a great natural behavior, if you do that every single day, it can really become predictable and boring for the animal. And predictability can be very detrimental to uh, captive animals' well-being. Uh, you know, when an animal is used to being fed in a particular spot, in a particular way, uh, say piles of uh, food near a shift door or in a hay bag, any slight change in their normal routine is really going to throw them off and could be considered enriching. Um, variety comes in many forms, uh, things like feeding at different times, feeding in different ways, getting new enrichment items, moving exhibit furniture around, even changing the color of your uniform can throw off an animal completely. And really, variety is, I kind of stress variety in this to uh, say how important it is to try to not create a routine um, that's going to be detrimental to the animal. You know, there's uh, variety is super important. Not every single day in a wild animal's life is going to be exactly the same uh, day in, day out. They're not going to go to the same watering hole. They're not going to hunt the same prey. It's going to be uh, different depending on uh, the weather, depending on uh, season changes, depending on all sorts of different things. So there's so many different factors in um, the wild that we can't really replicate in captivity uh, exceedingly well, but we can really do our best to make sure that there's not, sort, uh, not a sort of um, detrimental routine forming. And uh, kind of since we're talking about a variety, uh, the next thing would be a great thing to talk about would be variation uh, in the actual animal themselves. Uh, so, you know, everyone that has had the pleasure of working with a variety of animals knows that there's a great deal of variation in behavior between individuals of the same species. You know, you may uh, work with one Przewalski's horse that loves to roll barrels full of pellets around and another that thinks hay bags are the greatest thing ever. Uh, so you really should uh, be accounting for this variation. Um, it's extremely important uh, for the success of an enrichment program because uh, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, one if you worked at a, a one facility uh, and you take the enrichment program that you used with the tigers there, applied it to another facility, those tigers might be completely different. They might be older, have different personalities, like different things. So uh, although they're, a lot of the time they should be based on natural behaviors, uh, sometimes specific things uh, relate better to specific animals. So you should definitely be uh, taking that into account uh, on an individual basis uh, when developing an enrichment program. The next factor you're really going to be focusing on is uh, evaluating and monitoring uh, the enrichment. You know, you've got your natural history, you've got your variety, you've got your variation in the actual animals. Uh, now you really have to take uh, all those things that you've learned from those uh, three categories and the enrichment that you have there, and you have to evaluate and monitor it continuously. You know, evaluating and monitoring isn't just for the first time you throw an enrichment item in to make sure that it's safe for the animal. It's really an ongoing process that should be happening day to day. Um, just because it was enriching the first time you gave you gave it to the animal does not mean um, 
that it's still enriching for the animal. You know, this is kind of the same as predictability and routine. Uh, these enrichment items can become predictable and routine. So, you know, you know, nothing is going to be better than the first time you give a squirrel monkey a great puzzle box. They are going to spend 30 minutes to figure out their feeder and get all the food out. However, if you give that puzzle feeder to them three, four, five times a week for the next three months, it might only take them 30 seconds to get the food inside instead of 30 minutes. So this is kind of where evaluation monitoring enrichment comes in. Uh, enrichment given to an animal needs to be monitored on a continuous basis to ensure that it still elicits the desired reaction out of the subject. Um, just because it was enriching at some point does not mean the animal still finds it enriching. Uh, you know, I see this a lot. Uh, individuals just throw a specific enrichment item that is in the enrichment quote-unquote pile uh, and they assume that that item is now uh, enriching for the animal and the animal is enriched. So you really want to make sure that everything that you're putting in there is still getting a response and still interacting uh, in some way with the animal. Uh, and if it's not, you know, um, then you might have to get rid of it, might have to wait a couple months, uh, things like that. You, it's not something you want to do every single day. So developing a system to rank the effectiveness of an enrichment item is can be extremely important to an enrichment program as it gives you, you know, real data that you can look at on how an enrichment item is performing. Uh, and it will really help to keep an enrichment program enriching for a long period of time. These ranking systems are great because, uh, you know, you can uh, say you have a specific puzzle feeder. You can look back, you know, when was the last time this was given to an animal and how, and you, like you could look at the rank that person gave uh, the enrichment item with the animal. So you can, if you look back and you see that the animal didn't even really use it or solve the puzzle feeder in two seconds, then maybe you should uh, kind of reconsider your choice to give that uh puzzle feeder to the animal again maybe you can uh, try again in two months or uh, maybe you can switch it out for another enrichment item and uh, next we're going to be talking about contra freeloading uh, so if you haven't listened to my standalone podcast on contra freeloading i would highly recommend uh, you do so i believe it's episode uh, three two or three um, so make sure you do that because i'm just going to be skimming over it here I harp on contra freeloading a lot just because I think it's one of the most important concepts uh, you can learn and understand when designing an enrichment program uh, for any animal within a zoological institution. Uh, so just going to briefly go over contra freeloading. Uh, essentially contra freeloading is a behavior displayed by a captive animal uh, where they choose food that requires work to obtain rather than free food when given the choice between the two. Um, this was discovered all the way back in 1996 by Glenn Jensen, a psychologist. Um, he did a study on 200 rats. Uh, there was a pile of free food and a bar that they would need to press a certain amount of time to get the food. Um, and they always seemed to choose uh, the bar press for the food rather than to get it for free, the dish on the ground. And uh, since 1966, this has been uh, shown over and over again in a variety of different animals from uh, carnivores to uh, herbivores, grazers, all sorts of stuff like that. So um, this concept really blew my mind when I first learned about it. Um, and it really changed the way I look at enrichment as a whole. Uh, you know, preferring that to know that the animals prefer to work for food 
you can assume that the act of foraging and searching for food is more than just something that the animal is doing to obtain food. It's uh, fundamentally a part of their life. Uh, so doing your best to kind of implement this into an enrichment program can have huge uh, implications uh, for that animal and uh, huge welfare implications in general. And really when it comes down to it, uh, contra freeloading comes down to foraging time. You know, I'm going to do a separate podcast on foraging time, specifically talking uh, about how to raise that. Um, but uh, really, the, it's that's the most important thing about it. Uh, increasing foraging time in your animal, trying to replicate the amount of foraging uh, that they would be doing in the wild. Uh, you know, in my experience, the most common enrichment given to captive animals is generally... Uh, you know, inanimate tactile enrichment and olfactory enrichment because they're the kind of easiest thing to do. And, you know, these are extremely valuable to an enrichment program. Um, but a program consisting of little to no opportunities for an animal to forage is not going to be emulating its natural day-to-day -day life. You know, some animals are spending all day foraging for uh, insects and grazing, stuff like that. So it's really important to try to increase that overall foraging time with contra freeloading. Uh, and it's not that hard to implement into your environmental enrichment program, you know. The best way to begin implementing contra freeloading into an environmental enrichment program is to start to in eliminate slowly, because you don't want, you know, to decrease the amount of food that the animal's getting, but uh, slowly decrease the total percentage of the daily diet the animal is getting for free. Uh, so it's important to keep in mind uh, that animals that have been fed one way in a certain spot for uh, a decade, you know, are not going to immediately take to a diet that's 0% free food. You know, if you have a, a young grizzly bear, you may want to start them at 20 to 50% free food uh, to get them and then get them to work for the rest of it. Uh, whereas if you had an older cougar, uh, say that has only been fed in piles uh, in one particular spot in one way, uh, its entire life, uh, you may want to start them at 80 to 90% free food, you know, and, and be uh, doing contra freeloading with the other 10 to 20% of the food uh, to really avoid the risk of them not getting their diet. Uh, once an animal is easily getting all the food that is not for free, you can slowly uh, continue to decrease the amount of free food until they have to work for uh, a percentage of the food that you're happy with. You know, some uh, good behaviors to look for when doing this. Uh, uh, the animal uh, going to food, it has to work for instead of the free food. You know, if you see an animal run by a pile of free food right to a puzzle feeder, that's a great sign. Uh, that's contra freeloading at work. Um, a general increase uh, the level of curiosity and foraging behaviors overall. Those are really the things that you, that you really want to look out for and really want to target with contra freeloading. All right, so now we'll kind of get into uh, the designing of the enrichment program. Uh, so now that we have gone over the major concepts of an enrichment program, it's time to do the important job of bringing them all together to kind of make one great enrichment program. So um, we're going to start uh, kind of where I think is a, is a really important starting point, um, which is dividing up animals and goal setting. So really one of the most important steps in designing an enrichment program for a large institution such as a zoo or aquarium 
um, is the process of dividing up the animals in the collection into groups and setting goals for each group. Uh, when it comes to environmental enrichment needs, not all animals have the same requirements. You know, um, they're all equally as important, but not all of them uh, need as as intensive an enrichment program. So uh, that's where it really why I think dividing up animals based on priority slash enrichment needs is crucial to having su success uh, throughout a large collection. You know. Um, it's really easy to just kind of be excited about one specific animal, do all the enrichment for them while neglecting animals that may be more in need of enrichment. So uh, this really helps uh, stop that. All right, so, and you can see this, uh, again, you can see this list uh, and all these resources as well as uh, further reading and all that in the actual uh, article. Um, so if you want, check that out uh, on my website. But um, a sample grouping uh, kind of, uh, the way I think of it uh, may kind of look something like this. So in group one, which is a very high priority uh, enrichment group is carnivora and primates and animals with established stereotypes. Um, so group two, which is still high priority, um, which, uh, which I think would be uh, high activity birds, high activity mammals, and animals starting to show signs of forming stereotypes. Uh, in group three, you kind of have your medium priority, um, which are ungulates and all the other mammals that weren't, uh, didn't make your high or very high priority groups, uh, and the rest of uh, your birds. Then group four, which is low priority, um, is reptiles and amphibians. Um, I kind of created this list based on how much time the animals within the groups are spending foraging, hunting, and socializing as well as their risk to, for developing stereotypes, um, which generally determines their probability of reacting to environmental enrichment. Uh, so I almost always put carnivora uh, in group one as they have extremely high prey drives usually, uh, and that really needs to be mimicked in captivity. So spending a lot of time on them, uh, as well as primates uh, due to extreme intelligence is super important in my opinion. So now that you kind of have this list, um, you can really start to create goals uh, based on uh, that list. You know, so um, these goals can be uh, how often they get new enrichment, um, how many enrichment sessions they get, you know, how many feedings, all that, um, how often you can repeat enrichment. Um, the different uh, variations on enrichments, uh, the feeding times, and also you can put in the percentage free food uh, for contra freeloading. Uh, so for an example of this, group one, which is our very high priority, remember that is uh, carnivora, primates, and animals with established, established stereotypes. Uh, so um, group one, the very high priority, uh, one new enrichment item a week, multiple enrichment sessions a day, at least seven days between repeating an enrichment item, uh, variations on uh, environment daily. Uh, so that's just kind of moving uh, their exhibit furniture around, maybe adding some perching, taking some out, stuff like that. Uh, staggered feeding times slash multiple feedings a day, 0% uh, free food. So that would be 100% uh, food they have to work for. Uh, in comparison to, you know, a lower priority group like the medium priority, uh, which would be, you know, one new enrichment item a month, at least three uh, enrichment sessions a week, at least three days between repeating enrichments, uh, 
monthly environment changes uh, and 50% kind of maximum free food. Uh, so, you know, it's a lot easier to set goals and kind of rules uh, for each group when they are broken into groups, in my opinion. So I really found this uh, helpful to do uh, myself. Uh, so uh, you could definitely give that a try. And uh, just kind of a side note here, um, really another thing to consider when designing enrichment program is not leaving an animal out because it hasn't reacted to enrichment in the past. Uh, this is generally because the animal hasn't uh, had many enrichment opportunities in the past or is stuck in a day-to-day -day routine, being fed in the same way kind of spot for years. Uh, some animals really need to be trained uh, to be enriched. They need to train uh, to play, train to interact with certain things. Uh, similar to what we talked about earlier with starting contra freeloading, enrichment needs to be approached the same way. Uh, for example, if you're trying to get a large cat to jump and grab its food from a zipline, you may need to start by hanging um, the food item a few feet off the ground and over the course of the weeks, uh, you can really raise it higher and higher. Uh, please do not make the mistake of not giving an animal enrichment because it does not react to it initially or does not react to enrichment in general. Approach it like training a behavior. Start small and you'll really be surprised about what you can accomplish with that. So really the final step uh, in designing an enrichment program is going to be the logistics side of it. Um, you know, unfortunately, with all the concepts above, uh, there comes a certain level of paperwork. I don't like paperwork as much as the next zookeeper, uh, but this paperwork and really tracking uh, to ensure enrichment is being rotated and used correctly as well as maintaining that variety uh, and kind of maintaining that uh, new enrichment is really, really important. So coming up with a grading system uh, should also uh, be you know, implemented into your plan uh, and tracking to ensure a standard of engagement is kept up. And if you uh, kind of check out uh, the online version of this, uh, the article here, uh, there is some examples of kind of daily and um, kind of planning and tracking uh, of enrichment items as well as kind of tracking um, contra freeloading and all those important things. Those are, those are, there's examples uh, on the website. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, yeah. So really uh, that's kind of the fundamentals of a modern, what I think a modern enrichment program should really look, uh, look like. Uh, and again, remember enrichment is for everybody. And based on everything we've talked about in this podcast, um, it's clear it's of vital importance for captive animals to be receiving adequate enrichment. Um, stimulating an animal's uh, natural environment is easier uh, said than done. You know, it takes a lot of concepts, combining those concepts, and a lot of work uh, to be successful. Uh, so I really think the most important takeaway from this article should be uh, that enrichment is necessary for every animal and can't just be a side topic when it comes to animal husbandry. It really needs to be at the forefront of animal welfare discussions and taken very seriously. Uh, so enrichment can be a lot of fun and the feeling you get from making an animal's day with some enrichment you put together is fantastic. Uh, so, you know, go out there, have fun and make some animals happy. And again, thank you so much for listening and uh, getting to the end of this podcast. I really appreciate everybody listening right now. Um, 
I mentioned again, wildenrichment.com. You can check it out for everything I've talked about here as well as uh, more resources for you. You can find me on uh, Instagram and Facebook at wildenrichment. Uh, you can talk to me there, uh, shoot me a message, um, all that good stuff. You can ask me some more questions about uh, kind of this enrichment program and uh, how to implement it if you uh, guys ever uh, need any extra help or anything like that. Uh, feel free to reach out. I uh, love answering people's questions and talking about enrichment. So thanks again for listening. Until next time.